Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. All right, we're going to continue in our service together. Plenty of time after our service to continue chatting to each other. Uh, I'm going to pray and read the Bible for us this morning. But before I pray, um, one of the mission partners that we have here at Southside, um, so a part of our giving goes to some mission partners. One of the mission partners is uh, an organization called Open Doors that helps people uh, who are following Jesus right around the world in some of the most difficult places around the world. And if you are looking to pray for uh, brothers and sisters who are in some of these countries, Open Doors have great resources on their website uh, for that, for prayer points specifically for some of these nations. So this morning I'm going to be praying for uh, our brothers and sisters in Algeria. That's what I'm going to be praying for. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, We praise you that you are the God of the universe. You are the God who rules in all authority and power over every inch of our planet. There's not a space, Lord, where you are not in control. And we thank you, God, that you are this big and awesome God, but also a God of love and kindness. That your mercy and grace was seen for people like us when you entered into the world as a human. In Jesus, you died and you rose again. We thank you that while you are magnificent and big, you also care for people like us. God, as we gather together today in peace, we pray for a people who are not in peace. We pray for a people group, Lord, that we may not have even considered before. But while, Lord, we may not have considered our brothers and sisters in Algeria, you have. You know them, you see them, and you love them. And so, Lord, we lift up to you the people that you know. We pray for them, Lord, and we pray that you would comfort them and give them wisdom. Particularly, Lord, with the news that one of their churches, about the same size as we are gathered here today, was forced to shut. We pray, Lord, for wisdom as they figure out what is next, for boldness and courage to hold on to their faith. We pray too, Lord, for the 12 people who were detained for their faith, for faith-based charges as they spoke about you, as they went on mission. Lord, speaking about the good news of Jesus, it's that that got them put into prison. And so we pray for them, Lord, in their darkness that you would hold them, that you would sustain them and see them and enable them to hold on to their faith and to keep speaking about you. God, we pray too for the Algerian government. Father, we pray that you would soften their hearts, that you would transform them so that your people can live godly and peaceful lives. Father, as we consider the church around the world who suffer for their faith, we pray that we may be spurred on here where we are, that we may not take our position for granted. Give us the boldness and the courage and the wisdom to be the people you've called us to. And we pray this not just when we're gathered, but when we scatter into our communities. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 
We're starting a new series today in the book of Esther. So if you've got your Bibles there, it'll be on the screen as well. But Esther's in the Bible. It's before the Psalms and then before Job. So if you're trying to find it in your Bible, that's where it is, before the book of Job. And today we're looking at Esther chapter 9, 24 to 28. And Ross will explain all of this while we're starting in chapter 9 when we get to this in a moment. So we're going to have a look at this Esther chapter 9, verse 24. We pick it up here. It says this, For Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the pur, that is, the lot, for their ruin and destruction. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head and that he and his son should be impaled on poles. Therefore, these days were called Purim, from the word Pur. Because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them should without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation, by every family, and in every province, and in every city. And these days of Purim should never fail to be celebrated by the Jews, nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants. Builds, it builds attention a bit while we're starting a series in chapter 9. But how would I pray? And uh, hopefully this is an exciting journey for all of us to start off with this morning, that God will help us to understand what's going on here. Please pray with me. Dear Father God, we know you are with us when we gather. We know you speak through your word. And as we look at this story in the Old Testament, we do pray that you would open our ears and our hearts and minds to you and what you're saying to us purely because it is the Word of God and it is a Word that's relevant for us today. So we thank you for being us, bringing us here together. I do pray that you'd speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Who doesn't love a Disney movie? Like there's something about animated movies that really engage us. Whether you're an adult or a child, I think a good movie has got something that draws us in. It seems to be real enough for us to associate with. For me, I like Shrek. Shrek is somebody I can go, yeah, I'm with you, brother. I'm, I can see you in, you might see him in me for different reasons, but I see him in me to go, yeah, I want to fight for the underdog. I want to fight for my rights. I want to stand up. Uh, I do have a few donkeys in my life as well, so I particularly associate with, I'll let you guys work that out. The, um, but, but it's not just who you associate with, there's also enough fantasy in that, that his dreams are fulfilled, his dreams come true. And it's not just for Shrek, it's many Dis Disney movies. You see yourself in it and there's an encouragement to pursue uh, something really good, that the fantasy will be fulfilled in their life. Now, when we get to the book of Esther, it feels like it's not that different. In fact, it's easy to see, and many people have explained it this way, that dreams do come true. Be like Esther, and your fantasy world will come true. The problem with that is it never happens. 
It never happens like that, is it? There's never always the happy ending if you just be like them. See, for even Esther, her dreams come true. She's an orphan girl. She goes into a beauty contest, wins it to become queen. And not only she comes from a nobody to be queen, but she's able to save her people. It's a great story, great hero story. But that doesn't always work out no matter how much we desire it or want it. Uh, our fantasies don't always come true that way. So what has Esther, the story of Esther, got to do with us? Particularly, what's it got to do with us some two and a half thousand years later when the world is a different place? And what is even Esther doing in the Bible? It's a story uh, built around a girl. Did you know the book of Esther doesn't even refer to God? God is never mentioned. What is this even doing in the Bible? Why are we even looking at it for the next five weeks? Well, when we get into it more and more, so this is why we're doing an intro talk to this series, tonight, to go, this book is different to any other book in the Bible. And we're going to treat it a little bit different to any other book in the Bible to get the fullness of it, to understand it. And over five weeks, I think you'll find there's five what we might call theological truths. Five things we can learn about God and learn about ourselves and learn about our world that I would argue that are even more relevant today than they were two and a half thousand years ago. So I'm excited about this journey. Today is a bit of an overview because we need to get a full picture on what is going on in the book of Esther to understand the rest of it as it goes on. This is why we're starting at chapter 9 because these verses are a little bit of a summary at the end of the book. There's only 10 chapters in Esther. We're picking up a little bit of a summary, do a bit of an overview so when we go back to it bit by bit, it will make more sense. But five weeks of five really big, important things. And yeah, kicking off this morning, bit of an overview. we're going to do a bit of history lesson, which I hope is exciting for you as it was for me uh, in putting it all together. But this is going to ground us in what's going on for them and why it's relevant for us today. As we see uh, from even those verses, we need to understand what's going on here for Esther and the people around her. They're in a foreign land. It's not their own land. Uh, it's not their place. And they are a minority group being severely oppressed. We kick up the story. So this is a bit of a summary of the big tension of what's already happened. We'll pick that up in the coming weeks, that more of the detail. But for when Haman, son of Hamadetha, the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them. Now, what's going on there? Because we read that and go, no, nothing about that. Uh, what is that about? This is where the background is super important to know. This is not just a story, a random event like a Disney story. This is a part of history. And I want to take you for a bit of a walk through history to show you why just what he's saying there has lots, is loaded with information. So I want to give you a bit of an overview. This is a um, Bible storyline that we've used before uh, from Genesis right through to Revelation. And when we see um, what's going on here, it's good to know where are we at, even in the Bible. So we see Israel. Um, this is when they went from being slaves in Egypt. They did the 40-year wandering in the desert. They got into their promised land as God opened the way for them there. 
So this is about 1050 BC. This is historical, right? You talk to historians, they're going, yep, this actually happened. Israel were an empire under King David, King Solomon at that time. What happened after that? Uh, Israel took on other gods. They started. They stopped trusting the God of the Bible. God warned them, you keep doing this, I'm going to kick you out of the land. And I'm going to use the other nations to come and mock you and ridicule you. And first of all, the Assyrian Empire expanded and took out Israel, 725 BC. There's lots of archaeological stuff for this. And a lot of the stuff, a lot of their carvings that they hid, did the Assyrians emphasised how violent and vicious the Assyrians were. So this carving has men pinned up on poles. This is what they did to their enemies. They wanted to annihilate all their enemies. And they did that. They took over Israel as a nation. The Assyrian Empire was massive and powerful. But that... Didn't go on forever. The Babylonians then come along in 590 BC, and we have records of that as well. There's a tablet that contains the story of the king of Babylon overthrowing Jerusalem, and he boasts about it in this tablet. So, Babylonian Empire comes in. Now, what's going on in relation to the Bible? If you're familiar with the story of Daniel, Daniel was a part of the Babylonian Empire. So, where the Assyrians were talking about annihilation, the Babylonians said, no, no, why are we killing everybody? We're going to enslave them. We're going to make them work for us. We can make them, use them to make us more powerful. The Babylonians didn't last too long before the Persians come along, 539 BC. Uh, the king Cyrus is a very famous king. There's lots we know about him because the Persians liked writing a lot about themselves. And we'll even see that in the book of Esther. And he has what they call a Cyrus Cylinder, what we have today. And that was when Cyrus became um, king, not just over Persia, but the Persian Empire over all this land. He made, he's like, why are we doing this whole slavery thing? I'd rather everybody work in harmony and pay taxes. We can get income that way. So he allowed everybody to go home. So the Israelites who were kicked out of their land, being kicked around by these other nations, finally under Sirius... Um, they were allowed to go home. So this way you get Ezra and Nehemiah, if you're familiar with those books, they've gone back to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple. Uh, Cyrus, the king, uh, actually gave them money and resources to rebuild the temple. It's like, I'd rather you guys be happy. Go and do your thing back over to Jerusalem. But people like Esther, I don't know whether we want to go back to Jerusalem. We might just stay where we are in the foreign land, on a foreign king, a foreign rulership. Uh, so she stays in Susa. So you get these two groups. Some of the Israelites went home, some stayed in the foreign land. So when Esther takes place, it's under the Persian Empire in 475 BC. They can date that very accurately. This is all um, affirmed through archaeology and historians uh, can back it up. This is, not, this is how the world history played out. But what happens then is uh, when Cyrus conquers the land, does good things, tries to help people, his grandson comes along, so there's the third, uh, the third king in the Persian Empire, called Xerxes. Xerxes comes along. He's the one that is king in Esther. We'll get to know Xerxes over the next five weeks. Uh, 
But what we need to appreciate, even when we dive into the book of Esther, Persia is big and powerful and they know it. They know it. So in relation to geography, if you know your geography, this is a massive amount of space. But it's also a massive amount of people. Persia is about 50 million people in population at that time. Double the size of Australia uh, in population. They're also uh, just short of half the world population is ruled under Persia, the Persian king. Like they're a big, massive empire and they knew it. What they, they did was um, they could afford to live extravagant lives. They were the major party. There was no opposition to them. So they uh, were very wealthy. They would like their parties. And like I said, they wrote a lot about themselves. So historians can, can confirm that, hey, these guys, they're, they're big party goers, big drinkers, womanizers. They're just, they just love the high life if you're in the right position uh, in the Persian Empire. We get a bit of a taste of this, actually, before, yeah, we get a bit of a taste of this in chapter one. So I know we're skipping over a little bit, but just what, what's this telling us about the Persian? This is how the book of Esther starts. This is what happened during the time of Xerxes. The Xerxes who ruled over 120 provinces stretching from India to Kush. At that time, the King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa. That's where Esther is. And in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials, the military leaders of Persia and Media, and the princes and the nobles of the provinces were present. For a full 180 days, this is some banquet, hey, that's six months this banquet went for. For a full 180 days, he displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom and the splendor and glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days, another banquet, but this time in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from the least to the greatest who were in the citadel of Susa. The garden, now it was just, we're meant to be overwhelmed by the greatness of this. The garden and the hangings, uh, the garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings made on, on marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver, a mosaic pavement of porphyry marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other, and the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. The king's command to each guest was to allow to drink with no restrictions, for the king's instructed all the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. We're meant to go, wow, this is some king throwing some party, and we're just meant to be overwhelmed by, this is the biggest empire. This is a king that's thrown around his weight, trying to impress everybody. Historians believe what's going on here lines up with a time in history where the Babylonian, uh, when the Persians were about to invade Greece. If you've ever watched the movie 300, it's about King Xerxes invading Greece. It was going to be a big, bloody battle. Uh, he ended up failing, but what he had to do was convince his army that this is a good thing to do and they could trust him. So what better way to do that, to get them on board? Throw them a six-month party so they would give their lives for him. So it lines up historically. 
So we're meant to be overwhelmed. We're talking about Israel or the Jews. In, in, as in Esther, they're referred to the Jews. Are a minority group living in a foreign land, under a foreign nation, and a foreign king. But it gets worse. It gets worse for them. If we go back to our timeline, we have to just go back a little bit further to get a bit more context. Back when Israel were coming out of Egypt, wandering through the desert into the promised land, these guys, the Amalekites, are another tribe in the desert, they come and attacked Israel. Now there's some rules of war, you might say. If you want to attack another nation, you take them on through the army. You have the battle and whoever wins gets the spoils. Not the Amalekites. They had a reputation of hating God and hating God's people. So much so, while they're wandering in the desert, they come from behind and start killing the women and children. They don't fight the army. They kill the women and children. It's that feeling you get when you see um, what's been happening in the battles between uh, Russia and Ukraine. When a missile goes into a, a building, there's no army in there. It's just regular families that are killed in the building. You go, come on, boys. That's, it's just not right. This is what's gone on with the Amalekites. They've attacked the Jews because they hate God, hate his people. They don't care. We just want to wipe them out. We hate them so much. One of the kings of the Amalekites was King Agag. So he's the, the worst of the worst. He's leading them against God and against his people. Jump a bit further forward. We just met a guy called Haman. Haman's the one that's out to get the Jews. Haman is described as an Agagite. What's that got to do with anything? Oh, except he's a relative of the king of the Malachites who hate God, hate the Jews. It's in his bloodline. He's, he's just out to get them. He hates them so much. Men, women and children. So when we see him mentioned, it's not just Haman. It's Haman the Agagite. If you're a, a Jew in that time, you meant to go, oh, he's bad. You even go boo if you want every time you hear him. Because he's bad news. So when we get back, sorry, that's a long journey. If you've been asleep and not engaged with history, that's right. We're back to the text now. I hope you love that little journey though. I had fun. Um, but for Haman, he's the bad guy. Son of Hamadatha. The Agagite. The enemy of the Jews. It makes sense now. He hates the Jews, hates God. He wants to annihilate the Jews. He had plotted against the Jews to destroy them. Of course, that's who he is. Why can he do that? Why is he such a problem? Is because he's the, what we might call the prime minister of Persia. We have the king, King Xerxes. He, he sits on the throne, but he's got to have someone who rules the country. And he's appointed Haman. Haman's got all the power. Haman makes up all the rules. Haman can do whatever he wants, just gets a king to sign off on it. And we'll see that play out through the book of Esther. He said, hey, let's, these Jews are no good. Let's wipe them out. He goes, sure, just signs it. Uh, so he's organised it. He can do it. And he's very powerful. So now, let's put ourselves in the position of God's people, the Jews. We're living in a foreign land with a foreign leader, a pagan leader, doesn't even recognise God. We're sitting under the authority of, of a person who not only is foreigner, but he actually hates you and he hates your God and wants to 
annihilate you. Men, women and children is his law. He wants to annihilate. Things are bad. Things are really bad. If you're a Jew, if you're one of God's children living in Susa and living in the whole empire uh, at that time. But here's what happens. He plotted against the Jews to destroy them. And it just mentions this little detail. In the process, and we'll hear it more in the story, in the process of destroying, he cast her. That is the lot. It's like drawing straws or um, rolling a dice or just... He wanted to know when would be the best time to destroy these people. And if he wanted a message from his gods, he would just cast a lot. And that would determine the date that it was to happen. It's by chance. So this word per is basically by chance for their ruin and destruction. It's interesting why he mentioned that. We'll probably come back to that because it's just an interesting detail to the story. But how does this play out? Is it by chance? But God, uh, sorry, but when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil schemes Haman had devised against the Jews should come back onto his own head and that he and his sons should be impaled on poles. Anybody who thought Esther was a nice Disneyland story? (laughs) There's lots of violence and blood that's sprinkled through it. It's bad, but things get turned around. So the idea of mentioning that, that Haman's casting purr, or by chance, what is the best time this is going to happen, it actually starts raising the question, well, is it by chance? Do we believe in chance? Is it just random acts of things going and happening? Things that are not in our control, but it's the destiny of the world. Does things happen by chance? What will be, will be. Is God in control? This is the tension of Esther. Es- it'd be easy for this book to go, oh, I would love this book to go, hey, you know what? We saw God here, God here, God here, God here. God is not mentioned once. But pur or purim, same thing, uh, this chance is mentioned seven times. It makes us think, do things happen by chance? Is this chance? Is it random? Do you believe things happen by chance? Or is God in control even when you can't see him? Because at the moment that Haman was putting the threats down, things were looking really bad and they couldn't see God, far from God in a foreign land. But yet it all worked out fine. Not only was Haman their enemy killed, but the, the Jews end up being promoted to positions of power. It was a big win for the Jews. See, when it raises the chance thing, there's a whole lot of things that you might say, it just so happened. It just so happened that all these things come to play. These just so happen moments. And it wants to, they're writing the book of Esther to celebrate and to think about, do things happen by chance? So he's talking about Sorry, I might just keep it on that. Um, do things happen by chance? It just so happened that the king realised what was going on to the Jews. But it just so happened that he found out through the queen. The king lives in his palace. He doesn't have much to do with anybody, you'll find out. But it just so happens the queen points it out to him. It just so happens the queen is a Jew. 
as in Esther. It just so happens Esther was beautiful in character and beautiful in appearance so that she won a beauty competition to become queen. Just so happened. Just so happened that Haman hated the Jews so much he put in a 20-metre spike to have Esther's stepfather impaled on it and where did he put it in his front yard because he wanted to see him stuck up there and look at it and go yeah victory is mine but it just so happened the king impaled Haman on his own spike in his own front yard it's like is this chance like the the Jews would have to be the luckiest people in the world to be facing annihilation but then everything completely turned around just so happened this happened just so happened chance by chance by random coincidentally this happened is it coincidence is it by chance is this all happening or is somebody in control if either got to say the jews are the luckiest people in the world or nothing happens by chance nothing happens by chance so they have this the jews after this is all done have this festival of purim it's a big festival and we're given the instructions these days we're called purim so we, it's chance uh, for the word pur and you can see they're using it in an ironic sort of way because everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them the jews took it on themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who join them without fail observe these two days every year and in the way prescribed and the time appointed they're turning this into a two-day festival every year to remember the book of esther all the time that the strict jews still do it today have this festival and these days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family in every providence in every city and these days of purim should never fail to be celebrated by the jews nor should the memory of these days die out among their descendants this is big but they said we don't want to just have a festival to 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 share the story how we got saved or we got saved let's have a party but it's how we got saved let's call it chance because it makes us think did all this stuff happen by chance by purim or is somebody else in control because we're not we didn't see god there was no prophet saying this is the word of the lord god didn't send down a lightning bolt on haman he didn't uh, open the ground and swallow him up but yet it worked out so we didn't see god there <laughs> was it chance no chance no chance is that going to happen so let's have a festival to remember we're not going to remember the words of god because god didn't speak to us but we are going to pick up that uh, sort of from the second line on everything that's written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them they testify we didn't see god firsthand like other old testament stories but man there's so many things just so happened moments that this is crazy god had to be in control here so let's celebrate it <coughs> excuse me and in this celebration let me set the scene a little bit it is a festival 
There is drinking, there's party, there's food. They give presents to each other. And at the centre point, so everybody comes together for this festival, at the centre point is this moment where they all come together in a theatre and they reenact the book of Esther. So what we have in our book of Esther is the script that they would read as they retell the story. And because they know how it ends... So they don't have to fear the enemy anymore because they know the enemy is going to end up on a spike. They can read it going, I can see God doing this. I can see God doing that. I can see God doing... This is crazy how God works. So it's actually a celebration. What they do in the theatre, you could have uh, narrators. You can have people acting it out. And they would even have jesters, like people, holding up boards when to boo. So when you hear Haman, boo. When you hear Esther, cheer because she's a hero. They have moments. Um, excuse me. They have moments to laugh. We read. If we don't read it that way, we go. Haman's on a spike. We don't like seeing bodies being spiked, and he's ten sons. That makes us cringe a bit. But when you're a Jew and you know how it ends, and God kills the enemies, like they're like, you're the enemy. You got it from God. You know, it's that they cheer at that, not because they're disrespectful, but because they know God answered their prayers god came through for them it wasn't by chance that happened so in our growth groups week one so this week we're going to get together the script is in the back and we're going to read it in that tone so when we spend the next four weeks going over it we know that this is how it's written it is history but it's written for a theater type environment this is what's going on it's life-changing for the jews it's not like the prophet said but it's a, th- this is history this is what we saw play out now, for us, what's that got to do with us? It is a bit of a moment here that we've got to realise we are in a foreign land too. We're not home. We're not living under God's rule in God's place with God's people. It's lots of people don't believe in God. Lots of people think things happen by chance. Lots of people actually hate God, even hate God's people. We are in a foreign land. We can also feel that God can be hidden. Where is God when I need him? I need a sign. I need his word. Where is he? But yet God is hidden from us too. So this is very relevant for us when we look at how they live. This week was a classic example. NASA come forward and showed a new photo of all the galaxies out into the space. And if you read the, um, you know, reports on that there's a couple of different angles come out one set of scientists say how amazing is this that by chance all this got flung out into space in their nice colors nicely spaced out and by chance aren't we amazing that that this little planet that we live on is is has got life on it and isn't it lucky by chance that that we have humans who can think and process and explore things by chance that all things happened we get the other people that look at this and it's in the media too that's they're like saying no chance that that happened it is certainly a testimony from some sort of divine being that god is so amazing that he put the colors into space that he spaced it all out that god put us here on this planet People were saying that too. The interpretations of this picture are divisive. Do we live by chance, random acts, circumstances? Or do you just go, 
for that to happen, that to happen, that to happen, that to happen. That's, that's like, there's so many random things happen. It, it can't be by chance. But there is a God at work. This is the message of Esther. So many just-so-happened moments. And we see it in the message of the Bible, that God reaches into our world. It just so happened that a, a young virgin girl, Mary, falls pregnant. Just so happened by chance. How did that happen? She marries a tradie, a chippy in Joseph. They have a child, a boy they name Jesus. It just so happened this boy could do miracles. He was feeding people. He was healing people. He even raised the dead. By chance? Just so happened. Just so happened that the world hated him and they put him up on a spike. They nailed him up to a cross and killed him. Well, that's the end of him. Well, it just so happened that he rose again. It's like... Do you have all these just so happen? Did that all happen by chance? Or does God have a plan? Is God working? Is he always watching and always addressing things even before we even know it? This is a testimony to God. I can tell you my story just so happened. It's amazing that I even become a Christian. I grew up in church but actually turned me away from God. Just so happened God used other things in my life to draw me back to him, to lead me here. It just so happened that we've all got a different story to why we're sitting in this room right now. Different journeys, different influence. Is it just so happens by chance we're sitting here? I think God's brought us all here, all here together. This is reason to celebrate. Because if you reject God and go, well, it's all set a set of chance and circumstance, <coughs> what hope is there? What are you living for? By chance, anything could happen to you tomorrow. There's no hope after you die. Where if there is a God in control, it does give us hope. It does give us certainty that there is something better to live for, that God is in control, that God is watching us. God never takes his eyes off us. He never leaves us alone, that he's not hidden, but he's always involved in our lives when we will look. In hindsight, we see it better than in the moment, as we'll see through the next four weeks. But God is there. And our future is, concerned, is assured. And that gives us great hope. We should have a festival for this. I mean, we could call it Christmas, that, that God come into our world to rescue us. Or we could do it every Sunday when we gather as his people. To go, we're here celebrating the fact that we're here not by chance, but God has called us out, drawn us to him, and is taking us to a better place. And we can have assurance of that because of what we've seen and heard from Esther's time, from the Gospels time, learning about Jesus, even our time, the testimonies that we can share with each other. We have great reason to celebrate. We're going to sing another couple of songs uh, shortly when we're finished, but I'm going to pray before we do that, just that we, might <coughs> that we might not take God for granted, but see him at work in our lives. Let's pray. Dear Father God, just thank you for the way you speak to us. Even the testimony of your people some two and a half thousand years ago, they're not uh, trying to to uh, make things bigger than they are. They're not saying God said this, God did this, but they're actually making us look for you in life, which is the way you work. Well, thank you that you do have a plan for us from the time of creation, throwing the stars into the space, to now, Lord, the way you called us and used us and spoken to us. Lord, let us ignore, not ignore you, but be drawn to you. Let us not lose hope but to have faith and celebrate the fact that your plan is greater than anything else we can ever experience. So Lord, take us on that journey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.